Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. I have a very distinct memory of going to see some cousins of mine who had just moved into a new house that was closer to where my family lived. It was still about a 40 minute drive to get there, but we went up there to see this brand new house. It was beautiful. Big house, had a huge yard, a pool. It was amazing. We went up early in the morning and I couldn't wait to get into that pool. I swam around all morning. Later in the day, things moved inside. They had this amazing television. Then something really magical happened. My uncle suggested that my one cousin and I go play because we had been watching the TV and they wanted to get rid of us. He was a couple of years older than me and I was not prepared for what I saw when I went into his room. He had an amazing collection of toys, just shelves of toys that I had never seen. Also, since he was much older than me, he had very little interest in actually playing with me in any way. And so he just left me to play with his toys. And the thing I remember most is that he had the six million dollar man toys. The Steve Austin doll where you could look through the eye in the back and see his bionic vision. Some sort of lab playset. He even had the Oscar Goldman character. Now these were toys I had never seen before and I was thrilled. They had to drag me out of that room to get me to leave. I was so prepared to move into this house. For the next few months all I could talk about was my cousin's room and all the toys he had. I'm sure it annoyed my friends. I'm very sure that I put the six million dollar man toys on my Christmas list that year. For some reason it was two or three years later when we next visited that house and my cousin had become a teenager at this point and I was still pretty excited to play with all those toys he had but much to my surprise he had gotten rid of all of them. There were no more toy shelves. It was very much a teenager's room at that point. I swore to myself, when I become a teenager, I am never going to do that. I'm going to hold on to my toys, they're going to stay on my shelves, and that's the end of that. While I never got any Steve Austins or, or any toy in the Six Million Dollar Man line, it did have an effect on me. And for one glorious day, I remember sitting in complete air-conditioned comfort and for hours getting to play with these mint toys, brand new, like they had just come out of the box. It's a memory that's locked into my mind and one that I will treasure. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the TV show that inspired those toys, The Six Million Dollar Man. We'll talk about the book behind the show. We'll talk about the creators, the show itself, the cast. We'll talk about the music, its home video history, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
The Six Million Dollar Man is a science fiction action television series. It ran from 1973 to 1978. It's about an astronaut, or I should say a former astronaut, Colonel Steve Austin, played by Lee Majors, who has an accident and is rebuilt with bionic parts to give him superhuman speed, strength, and vision. And he is employed by a fictional government agency, the OSI, which stands for the Office of Scientific Intelligence. There would not have been a $6 million man, or perhaps the $6 million man would have been a very different show if it wasn't for a novel written by Martin Caden called Cyborg. It was written in 1972, and it's a sci-fi secret agent novel, which was turned into The Six Million Dollar Man and would also inspire its spin-off, The Bionic Woman, which is a show I did a couple of years ago. Martin Caden was born in 1927, passed away in 1997. He was a screenwriter, an author, talk show host, lots of other things. A real interesting character. He would author more than 50 books and write over a thousand magazine articles. I want to talk a little bit about Caden. You can find some of the things he did online. He hosted a television talk show in the mid-80s where he would basically kind of throw down with mostly members of far-right and hate organizations in the United States. There's something to see. Really confrontational and interesting. A few of them have been posted on YouTube. And I said he was an interesting character. He also claimed that he had psychic ability saying that he could use telekinesis where he could move things with his mind. Although when James Randi, famous skeptic and magician, would challenge him, Caden would avoid being tested. According to Randi, he frantically avoided accepting my challenge by refusing even the simplest of proposed control protocols. But he never tired of running on about how I would not test him. So I'm going to guess maybe he didn't have psychic abilities, although maybe he was secretly an agent of the OSI and didn't want to show off his abilities, or counter-agents would try to figure out a weakness. The novel Cyborg is the story of an astronaut and test pilot named Steve Austin, just like in the TV show, who has a crash during a flight, and that removes three of his limbs, one of his eyes, and a whole bunch of other injuries. While this is happening, the Office of Strategic Operations, very different than the Office of Strategic Intelligence, has taken an interest in bionics under Dr. Rudy Wells. He's a friend of Austin, and when the OSO in the novel, Chief Oscar Goldman, invites Wells to rebuild Austin, Wells agrees. So he gets new legs, a new arm, a new eye. He also gets a steel skull plate and a radio transmitter in his ribs. These little additional cyborg capabilities are differences from the show. For example, one of his hands has a poison dart in one of the fingers. So things like that. The first half of the novel is all about Austin reacting to his injuries and his resentment of being part machine. The second half is about a mission that he goes on. Needless to say, Austin starts to use his bionic ability and by the end of this novel accepts that he is the $6 million man. If anything, the TV show made the bionics more powerful. For example, the bionic eye in the TV show had a telescopic feature, whereas in the book, it's just a camera. There would be comic books based on the $6 million man, and they would even add more abilities to the eye, like a laser. Also in the book, Austin is a lot more mercenary, a lot crueler. He's not as humanized and kind, but that makes sense for a primetime TV show. Caden would write three other books in the Cyborg series, 
Operation Nuke in 1973, High Crystal in 1974, and Cyborg 4 in 1975. There would also be other books based on the continuity of the TV series and written by other authors. So as I mentioned, Harv Bennett was the producer of the show. Bennett was born in 1930, passed away in 2015. He was a producer and screenwriter. When he got into production, his first project was to develop a television series with producer Aaron Spelling. And that show would become The Mod Squad, which was a pretty well-known hit. He would then go on to produce The Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, Gemini Man, and The Invisible Man, all with mixed success. He's probably best known for his work on Star Trek. He would be brought in to do the second film and then would continue to work on several Star Trek films after that. He famously is the one who decided that Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, or just the second movie at that point, they didn't know it was going to be called The Wrath of Khan, would be based on Space Seed. He watched through the entire run of the original Star Trek and realized that was one of the more compelling episodes, and then things went from there. So a very important person in Star Trek history. Another producer on the show was Kenneth Culver Johnson. He's a screenwriter, producer, and director. In addition to working on The Six Million Dollar Man, he worked on The Bionic Woman, The Incredible Hulk, Alien Nation, and V. So a really great bunch of bona fides there on the science fiction front. In March of 1973, the novel Cyborg was adapted as a made-for-TV movie called The Six Million Dollar Man and it had Lee Majors as Steve Austin. Although that was not the original choice to play Steve Austin, they originally wanted Monty Markham, but they landed on Lee Majors, and I think it was a good choice, did a really good job in the role. The adaptation was done by writer Howard Rodman, who was working under a pseudonym, I believe as Henry Simone, and the made-for-TV movie was pretty well received. It had a Hugo Award nomination, although if you watch it, it has some differences than the TV series. Things like the electronic sound effects and the slow-mo running. They also had some different characters and different actors. As I mentioned, the OSO instead of the OSI. And they had Darren McGavin, great actor, as Steve Austin's supervisor. Later that would switch to Oscar Goldman in the series. The movie was a big hit, and they would do two more made-for-TV movies in October and November of 73. That was part of ABC's Movie of the Week series. The first was The Six Million Dollar Man, Wine, Women, and War, and the second was The Six Million Dollar Man, The Solid Gold Kidnapping. The first was a partial adaptation of Caden's second cyborg novel, Operation Nuke. The second was all original. These two movies were produced by Glenn A. Larson and had a very James Bond quality about them. Harv Bennett did not like the James Bond angle and got rid of it when the TV series started. Majors said of Steve Austin on this point, He hates the whole idea of spying. He finds it repugnant, degrading. If he's a James Bond, he's the most reluctant one we've ever had. So, gives you an idea of what the actor who's playing Steve Austin thought of how the character would respond to being a spy. The Six Million Dollar Man would eventually lead to The Bionic Woman. There would be a two-part episode in 1975 titled The Bionic Woman, and it introduced Jamie Summers played by Lindsay Wagner, who is a professional tennis player who's having a romance with Austin, they had dated before, and then has a parachuting accident, and she is given bionic parts as well. Ultimately, her body would reject the bionic hardware, and she would die. But people really liked this character, and so she would be brought back, and then would eventually get her own series. It's a fembot. 
new from Kenner. And Jamie Summers, the bionic woman, sold separately. I'm Jamie Summers. Oh, no, you're not. I am. You're a fembot. Your paralyzer gave you away. She's unmasked me. Now I have to disguise myself as a mystery baby. No one will recognize me. Not even Jamie. Ha-ha. <laughs> fembot comes with everything seen here. Jamie Summers, the bionic woman, sold separately. Leading the cast of The Six Million Dollar Man is... Lee Majors, who played Steve Austin. Lee Majors, who was born Harvey Lee Yeary, was born in 1939, got his big break on westerns. He would play Heath Barkley in the TV western The Big Valley, which ran from 1965 to 1969. And then his big break, and the thing he is most remembered for, would be The Six Million Dollar Man, followed by his role as Colt Seaver in the TV series The Fall Guy. One of the things upon a recent rewatch of The Six Million Dollar Man that I realized was that Austin grew a mustache in the series, and it didn't last very long, but because it was there and they were still producing material around it, they had comic books and lunchboxes with the mustachioed Six Million Dollar Man. I prefer non-mustache Lee Majors myself. Oscar Goldman, the director of the OSI, was played by Richard Anderson. Richard Norman Anderson was born in 1926, passed away in 2017, born in Long Branch, New Jersey. He is best known for playing Oscar Goldman on The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman. The character of Rudy Wells would be played by multiple actors. He was played by Martin Balsam in the pilot episode, Alan Oppenheimer in the second and third pilot episodes, as well as seasons one and two, and then Martin Brooks in season three to five. He would also play him in The Bionic Woman and in three movies. He is the physician and primary overseer of the medical stuff related to the bionic tech. Martin Balsam, born in 1919, passed away in 96. Prolific career in so many things and such a great character actor. He had roles in Psycho, Breakfast at Tiffany's, The Taking of Pelham 123, Catch-22, All the President's Men, and many more films. He would also have recurring roles on television shows like Dr. Kildare and Archie Bunker's Place. Alan Oppenheimer was born in 1930, another immense resume, did a lot of great voiceover work, especially working for Filmation in the 70s and 80s. He would be the voice of Skeletor, Man-at-Arms, and Merman on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. He also played Prime Evil in Filmation's Ghostbusters, but he would work on Thunder the Barbarian, the Smurfs, the Wuzzles, and many other things. Martin Brooks, born in 1925, he passed away in 2015. Another great character actor, also best known for his work on The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman. Maybe the one who's the most well-known because he would play the character the longest. Jamie Summers was played by Lindsay Wagner. Majors wanted his then-wife, Farrah Fawcett, to play the part on the show. He pushed for her to play Summers, even though she had played other parts on the show in the past, but she lost out to Lindsay Wagner. I think Wagner does a great job. Born in 1949, she is synonymous with the bionic woman, and anyone who knows the show and knows her name, that is what they know her for. Peggy Callahan was played by Jennifer Darling. She was a recurring character, secretary to Oscar Goldman, another one of these people with a really good voice who has a tremendous resume with anime and animated TV and movies. Oliver Spencer was played by Darren McGavin in the pilot, head of the OSO. McGavin 
I'm a big fan, mostly for his work on Kolchak the Night Stalker, but he was a actor who appeared in dozens and dozens of great things, including Airport 77, A Christmas Story, Billy Madison, and many other things. Finally, I just want to mention that Sandra Bullock was in one of the made-for-TV movies that would follow later. She was a protege of Austin and Jamie Summers, and she would become the bionic girl, although not for long. To keep the show plausible, the producer, Kenneth Johnson, wanted to have limits on Steve's ability. So while they had defined Steve Austin's bionics as powerful, there were limits to what they could do, and they tried to be very consistent with it. He is quoted as saying, When you're dealing with the area of fantasy, if you say, well, they're bionics, so they can do whatever they want, then it gets out of hand. So you've got to have really, really tight rules. Can jump up two stories, but not three. They can jump down three stories, but not four. So what are Steve Austin's bionics? He has a bionic left eye, which gives him telescopic vision. Later, they would also include that it had an infrared filter so that he could have night sight. As I mentioned in the comic, they would add a laser to that eye, but I don't know if that's canon. Steve had bionic legs that allowed him to move at 60 miles an hour, which is shown in the opening credits. Although the highest speed that you see on a gauge in the episode is 67 miles per hour. In films later, we would learn that they could probably go faster, but that might be they're just upping the game and we're hearing speeds like 90 and 100 miles an hour. They can also leap 30 feet in the air, even though, again, in later TV movies, we see Austin leaping much higher than that. The bionic right arm has the equivalent strength of a bulldozer. It also has a Geiger counter built in so that you can tell where there's radiation because you need that in your bionic arm. The bionics have built-in limitations. Extreme cold influences them. Microgravity makes them less powerful. A ultrasonic attack will affect his vision. So they put some weaknesses in so that Steve can feel a certain amount of peril if someone learns their weakness or stumbles upon it. In the TV movie, they have Dusty Springfield singing a song written by Glenna A. Larson. It was used in the opening and closing credits for Wine, Women, and War and the Solid Gold Kidnapping. They would have a regular theme song when the series started. That instrumental theme was written by Oliver Nelson. They would also add narration to the intro, a voiceover by Oscar Goldman, stating the rationale behind why they would have a bionic man. who wrote the theme, was born in 1932. He passed away in 1975. He was a jazz saxophonist, composer, arranger, band leader. He would move to Los Angeles in 1967 to be near the movie industry and began making background music for television and movies. You could hear his work on Columbo, Night Gallery, The Six Million Dollar Man, and many others. 
as well as a good number of films. Other people who contributed music to the show include Benny Golson, Gil Millay, Mark Snow, Mike Post, Stu Phillips, Jerry Fielding, Benny Golson, and J.J. Johnson. A lot of these people would go on to work on other shows. Mike Post specifically would work on a lot of great shows of the early and mid-80s. What's the worth of a man? For Steve Austin, it's six million dollars. Colonel Austin is in that plane. I think they're going to shoot us down. Isn't there any other way? Lee Majors is Steve Austin. Steve Austin is the six million dollar man, and he's worth every penny. The show would run from... March 7th, 1973 to March 6th, 1978 for five seasons for a total of 99 episodes, and they would have six TV movies. So what else was on when The Six Million Dollar Man came out? I actually printed this out. I had to look up the TV schedule in my area at the time, which strange they didn't have the grid form when looking at these when the movie came out in 73. But if you were watching TV in 1973 at 8 p.m., on CBS, they had Sonny and Cher. On NBC, they were showing Adam 12, and the Paul Lynn show was on ABC. Then at 8.30, they had a Bob Hope special on NBC, and on ABC, The Six Million Dollar Man premiered. There was a lot of good stuff going on on other channels. Channel 11, which is WPIX in my area, which was an independent station at the time, was showing The Twilight Zone and Dragnet. Pretty good selection. Then they would show Perry Mason later on, and then back to the Twilight Zone. So all Twilight Zone all the time. That's pretty great. All right. So that was the movie. The TV series, which they made a big deal about. They had lots of ads in the paper at the time. At 8 o'clock that day, Sanford and Son was on NBC. They were showing the Brady Bunch on ABC at 8 o'clock. Something called Dirty Sally was on CBS. What I love is that they misspelled the Brady Bunch as the Brady Bench. Then at 8.30, they had a Kojak movie on CBS, and The Six Million Dollar Man premiered on ABC. It says, Lee Majors stars as The Six Million Dollar Man. Then at 9 on NBC, there was something called Girl with Something Extra. At 9.30, Funnier Than Ever, Brian Keith and Friends. And then the follow-up to The Six Million Dollar Man at 9.30 was The Odd Couple, which was now at a new time, according to this listing. So a pretty good night of television. I would have had a hard time avoiding Channel 11, though, with all this Twilight Zone, which they're still showing a year later, multiple times a night. I think they were still doing that in the 80s when I became very aware of it. Always interesting to just check this out. The promos are really pushing the $6 million man, although Telly Savalas and Kojak was no joke. There's a big promo about that here as well. I wonder what was being watched in my house that night. I can't imagine that my mom would not have wanted to watch Telly Savalas. She loved Telly Savalas. So reading some of these reviews, they're pretty good. Reception was nice. People were pretty excited for the show. Release of The Six Million Dollar Man on VHS was spotty at best. We would have people come into the video store all the time asking for The Six Million Dollar Man. I believe we were able to get our hands on the TV movies and they might have included a couple of best ofs, but not the whole series. And there was some demand for it, but I guess not enough to release them. On DVD, slowly but surely, The Six Million Dollar Man would get a release. Probably the most famous would be the 2010 release 
by Time Life. It was a 40-disc set featuring all 99 episodes of the series, the three pilots, and the three reunion TV movies. It also had several episodes of The Bionic Woman, where there was some crossover. It was a great box set. It made my 2010. What's really good is if you are a fan, Shout Factory just released a Blu-ray box set of The Six Million Dollar Man. It has all of the crossover episodes as well, as well as six films. It also has bonus features, as Shout Factory stuff is prone to do, including audio commentary and stuff that has appeared in DVDs of the past. So if you're a big fan and want to see a real high-quality version of The Six Million Dollar Man, check out ShoutFactory.com. There would be novelizations based on the TV series written by authors like Mike Jan. What's interesting is that several of the novelizations kind of go off from what you see on the TV series. Instead, they will play closer to what you would see in the Cyborg novels where Austin kills people. So if you are a Six Million Dollar Man fan and you think, well, I've seen the episodes, you might want to check out these books if you can find them. There are novelizations of Wine, Women, and War, Solid Gold Kidnapping, Pilot Error, The Rescue of Athena One, The Secret of Bigfoot Pass, and International Incidents, which adapted several episodes into one book. Peter Pan Records and Power Records would publish several record albums that were basically audio dramatizations of the series. Three albums worth of episodes were released, one of which is Christmas-themed, So if you're a Six Million Dollar Man fan and love Christmas, there's something there for you. Charlton Comics published several comic books based on the Six Million Dollar Man that had both original adventures as well as adaptations. They would also have an illustrated magazine. Now the big difference is the comic book would be aimed at kids, whereas the magazine was more violent and probably going more toward an adult or a young adult crowd. And they would last until about the time that the TV series ended. There was also a comic strip produced in Britain. It appears that The Six Million Dollar Man, like a lot of action TV shows, were very popular in Britain. That was produced by Angus P. Allen and was drawn by Martin Adsbury and would appear in the TV comic Look In. Other comic book companies would get into the act, including Maximum Press and Dynamite Comics. And those were being put out as recently as a couple of years ago. Six million dollar man, ready to operate and command. Colonel Steve Austin is the six million dollar man. Complete with the technology to replace his bionic modules. Check him out with the bionic transport and repair station. Control his amazing lifting strength. See through his wide angle bionic eye. The man, his bionic transport that becomes a repair station and a working backpack radio. Of course, like any property, there has been lots of discussion over the years of a Six Million Dollar Man film. There was a screenplay developed in 1995 by writer and director Kevin Smith. I remember a lot of talk about that, but nothing ever happened. Then in the early 2000s, they started talking about it again, and a lot of different people came in to do different takes on it. Will it be a science fiction? Will it be a comedy? Will it be an action film? It just keeps coming up again and again and again. They have attached people to direct it. They've given release dates. It keeps getting pushed back. I think one day we will get a $6 million man film. I don't know when that will be. I don't know if it will be any good. But most likely I will see it because I'm a $6 million man fan. And I hope that whatever they do, they are respectful of the original series. 
as I mentioned, the $6 million man also would have a toy line. They would create several large format action figures, play sets, and hosts of other little toys. I had a little kit that I got at the Acme market that was sort of like a detective kit that had the $6 million man on it. And things like that were pretty widespread. So they did a good job of merchandising the TV show. And I think it was well-received enough that it inspired a lot of other shows to look into merchandising. But there was nothing like that $6 million man action figure. When you could look through the back of his head and see through that eye, it is so simple and almost kind of stupid. And yet, I felt like I was the $6 million man. The $6 million man is great escapist fantasy. And it's a fun mixture of science fiction and action, the likes of which we would not see for a long time after it went away. In the 80s, there would be a lot of action shows, but nothing quite like The Six Million Dollar Man, and that makes it special. So I'm really happy that it's out there and viewable. You can often catch it on streaming services, and you can get it on DVD or Blu-ray. So if you're looking for a fun show to watch, why not check it out? Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and instagram.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can start by giving the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download the show. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show via Patreon. If you'd like to support the show via Patreon, you can drop by patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get access to the Retroist Discord, bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, and lots of other fun stuff. It's a great community, and I really appreciate the support. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. sounds bionic sounds that's the best i got this has been a retrospective production goodbye